Hello friends, your humble host here for Sounds Like Radio, a very special edition. As tonight we're not going to be listening to a radio show, but what we are going to do is delve once again to my into my vast library of sound, where we are going to come up with quite a gem. Yes, this is an album recorded by Burgess Meredith in 1962 in which he reads two stories of Ray Bradbury. The album is actually called Burgess Meredith Reads Ray Bradbury. One of the stories he reads is Marionettes Incorporated. That's on side two of the album. Now, I made a previous recording of that, and I hope you've heard it, of uh, Burgess Meredith reading Marionettes Incorporated. But the other side, the side one of the album, is Burgess Meredith reading There Will Come Soft Rains. Both these stories are written by Ray Bradbury, of course. The album was recorded in 1962. I first heard it when I got it out from the Wheaton Library many moons ago. I was probably about 12, 13, I don't know, sure exactly how old, but it was probably around that age. Got it out from the Wheaton Library, and I really loved it. I remember taping it on a uh, onto a you know cassette tape at the time. But I sure can't find that tape. I mean, I look for it, too. Uh, But I did find a recording I made when I was 12 years old. I made a recording of the uh, story Marionettes Incorporated. I also, I think I also made a recording of the uh, There Will Come Soft Rains story. Uh, Made my own recording, read the story myself. When I did it, I added sound effects and music. Try to make it really good. I listened to the uh, Marionettes Incorporated version that I read, and I'm surprised at how well it came off. I didn't expect to hear or to see too much from a 12-year-old efforts, but it was pretty good, pretty darn good. And what was uh, amazing to me is I did such a, a great imitation of Burgess Meredith reading. I got all of his inflections down. It was pretty amazing. So I heard my own recording before I found this album. I mean, I'm talking about in recent months. And now I'm going to be listening to the album for the first time since I heard my own version of it. Uh, anyway, that's what the story is. We've got it for you now. The original Burgess Meredith album. Burgess Meredith reads Ray Bradbury. All right, friends, without further ado, let's listen to There Will Come Soft Rains. The Ray Bradbury story as read to us by Burgess Meredith. Take it, Burgess. In the living room, the voice clock sang. Tick-tock, seven o'clock, time to get up, time to get up, seven o'clock, as if it were afraid that nobody would. The morning house lay empty. The clock ticked on, repeating and repeating its sounds into the emptiness. Seven, nine, breakfast time, seven, nine. In the kitchen, the breakfast stove gave a hissing sigh and ejected from its warm interior eight pieces of perfectly brown toast, eight eggs sunny side up, 16 slices of bacon, two coffees, and two cool glasses of milk. Today is August 4, 2026, said a second voice from the kitchen ceiling, in the city of Allendale, California. It repeated the date three times for memory's sake. Today is Mr. Featherstone's birthday. Today is the anniversary of Talita's marriage. Insurance is payable 
as are the water, gas, and light bills. Somewhere in the walls, relays clicked, memory tapes glided under electric eyes. 8-1, tick-tock, 8-1 o'clock, off to school, off to work, run, run, 8-1. But no doors slammed, no carpets took the soft tread of rubber heels. It was raining outside. The weather box on the front door sang quietly, Rain, rain, go away, rubber's raincoats for today. And the rain tapped on the empty house, echoing. Outside, the garage chimed and lifted its doors to reveal the waiting car. After a long wait, the door swung down again. At 8.30, the eggs were shriveled and the toast was like stone. An aluminum wedge scraped them into the sink where hot water whirled them down a metal throat which digested and flushed them away to the distant sea. The dirty dishes were dropped into a hot washer and emerged twinkling dry. 9.15, sang the clock, time to clean. Out of the warrens in the wall, tiny robot mice darted. The rooms were a crawl with the small cleaning animals, all rubber and metal. They thudded against chairs, whirling their mustached runners, kneading the rug nap, sucking gently at hidden dust. Then, like mysterious invaders, they popped into their burrows. Their pink electric eyes faded. The house was clean. Ten o'clock. The sun came out from behind the rain. The house stood alone in a city of rubble and ashes. This was the one house left standing. At night, the ruined city gave off a radioactive glow which could be seen for miles. 10.15. The garden sprinklers whirled up in golden fonts, filling the soft morning air with scatterings of brightness. The water pelted window panes running down the charred west side where the house had been burned evenly free of its white paint. The entire west face of the house was black, save for five places. Here the silhouette in paint of a man mowing a lawn. Here, as in a photograph, a woman bent to pick flowers. Still farther over, their images burned on wood in one titanic instant. A small boy, hands flung into the air. Higher up, the image of a thrown ball. And opposite him, a girl. Hands raised to catch the ball, which never came down. The five spots of paint, the man, the woman, the children, the ball, remained. The rest was a thin, charcoaled layer. The gentle sprinkler rain filled the garden with falling light. Until this day, how well the house had kept its peace. How carefully it had inquired... Who goes there? What's the password? And, getting no answer from lonely foxes and whining cats, it had shut up its windows and drawn shades in an old maidenly preoccupation with self-protection which bordered on a mechanical paranoia. It quivered at each sound, the house did. If a sparrow brushed a window, the shade snapped up. The bird startled flew off. No, not even a bird must touch the house. The house was an altar 
with 10,000 attendants, big, small, servicing, attending, inquires. But the gods had gone away, and the ritual of the religion continued senselessly, uselessly. Twelve noon, a dog whined, shivering on the front porch. The front door recognized the dog voice and opened. The dog, once huge and fleshy, but now gone to bone and covered with sores, moved in and through the house, tracking mud. Behind it whirled angry mice, angry at having to pick up mud, angry at inconvenience. For not a leaf fragment blew under the door, but what the wall panels flipped open and the copper scrap rats flashed swiftly out. The offending dust, hair, or paper seized in miniature steel jaws was raced back to the burrows. There, down tubes which fed into the cellar, it was dropped into the sighing vent of an incinerator which sat like evil bale in a dark corner. The dog ran upstairs, hysterically yelping to each door, at last realizing, as the house realized, that only silence was here. It sniffed the air and scratched the kitchen door. Behind the door, the stove was making pancakes, which filled the house with a rich baked odor and the scent of maple syrup. The dog frothed at the mouth, lying at the door, sniffing, its eyes turned to fire. It ran wildly in circles, biting at its tail, spun in a frenzy, and died. It lay in the parlor for an hour. Two o'clock, sang a voice. Delicately sensing decay at last, the regiments of mice hummed out as softly as blown gray leaves in an electrical wind. 2.15, the dog was gone. In the cellar, the incinerator glowed suddenly and a whirl of sparks leaped up the chimney. 2.35, bridge tables sprouted from patio walls. Playing cards fluttered under pads in a shower of pips. Martinis manifested on an oaken bench with egg salad sandwiches. Music played, but the tables were silent and the cards untouched. At four o'clock, the tables folded like great butterflies back through the paneled walls. 4.30, the nursery walls glowed. Animals took shape. Yellow giraffes, blue lions, pink antelopes, lilac panthers cavorting in crystal substance. The walls were glass. They looked out upon color and fantasy. Hidden films clocked through well-oiled sprockets, and the walls lived. The nursery floor was woven to resemble a crisp cereal meadow. Over this ran aluminum roaches and iron crickets, and in the hot, still air, butterflies of delicate red tissue wavered among the sharp aroma of animal spores. There was the sound like a great matted yellow hive of bees within a dark bellows, 
and the lazy bumble of a purring lion. And there was the patter of okapi feet and the murmur of a fresh jungle rain like other hoofs falling upon the summer starched grass. Now the walls dissolved into distances of parched weed, mile on mile and warm, endless sky. The animals drew away into thorn breaks and water holes. It was the children's hour. Five o'clock, the bath filled with clear hot water. Six, seven, eight o'clock, the dinner dishes manipulated like magic tricks, and in the study, a click. In the metal stand opposite the hearth, where a fire now blazed up warmly, a cigar popped out, half an inch of soft gray ash on it, smoking, waiting. Nine o'clock. The beds warmed their hidden circuits, for nights were cool here. Nine, five. A voice spoke from the study ceiling. Mrs. McClellan, which poem would you like this evening? The house was silent. The voice said at last, since you express no preference, I shall select a poem at random. Quiet music rose to back the voice. Sarah Teasdale, as I recall, your favorite. There will come soft rains and the smell of the ground and swallows circling with their shimmering sound and frogs in the pools singing at night and wild plum trees in tremulous white. Robins will wear their feathery fire whistling their whims on a low fence wire and not one will know of the war, not one will care at last when it is done. Not one would mind neither bird nor tree if mankind perished utterly. And spring herself when she woke at dawn would scarcely know that we were gone. The fire burned on the stone hearth and the cigar fell away into a mound of quiet ash on its tray. The empty chairs faced each other between the silent walls, and the music played. At 10 o'clock, the house began to die. The wind blew. A falling tree bough crashed through the kitchen window, Cleaning solvent bottles shattered over the stove. The room was ablaze in an instant. Fire, screamed a voice. The house lights flashed. Water pumps shot water from the ceilings. But the solvent spread on the linoleum, licking, eating under the kitchen door, while the voices took it up in chorus. Fire, fire, fire. The house tried to save itself. Doors sprang tightly shut, but the windows were broken by the heat and the wind blew and sucked upon the fire. The house gave ground as the fire in 10 billion angry sparks moved with flaming ease from room to room and then up the stairs. While scurrying water rats 
squeaked from the walls, pistoled their water, and ran for more, and the wall sprays let down showers of mechanical rain. But too late. Somewhere, sighing, a pump shrugged to a stop. The quenching rain ceased. The reserve water supply, which had filled baths and washed dishes for many quiet days, was gone. The fire crackled up the stairs. It fed upon Picasso's and Matisse's in the upper halls like delicacies, baking off the oily flesh, tenderly crisping the canvases into black shavings. Now the fire lay in beds, stood in windows, changed the colors of drapes, and then reinforcements. From attic trapdoors, blind robot faces peered down with faucet mouths, gushing green chemicals. The fire backed off as even an elephant must at the sight of a dead snake. Now there were 20 snakes whipping over the floor, killing the fire with a cold, clear venom of green froth. But the fire was clever. It had sent flame outside the house, up through the attic to the pumps there. An explosion. The attic brain which directed the pumps was shattered into a bronze shrapnel on the beams. The fire rushed back into every closet and fell to the clothes hung there. The house shuddered, oak bone on bone, its bared skeleton cringing from the heat, its wire, its nerves revealed as if a surgeon had torn the skin off to let the red veins and capillaries quiver in the scalded air. Help! Help! Fire! Run! Run! Heat snapped mirrors like the first brittle winter ice, and the voices wailed, Fire! Fire! Run! Run! Like a tragic nursery rhyme. A dozen voices, high, low, like children dying in a forest, alone, alone. And the voices faded as the wires popped their sheathings like hot chestnuts. One, two, three, four, five voices died. In the nursery, the jungle burned. Blue lions roared, purple giraffes bounded off. The panthers ran in circles, changing color, and ten million animals running before the fire vanished off toward a distant steaming river. Ten more voices died. In the last instant under the fire avalanche, other choruses oblivious could be heard announcing the time, playing music, cutting the lawn by remote control more, or setting an umbrella frantically out, and in the slamming and opening front door, a thousand things happening like a clock shop when each clock strikes the hour insanely before and after the other, a scene of maniac confusion, yet unity. Singing, screaming, a few last cleaning mice darting bravely out to carry the horrid ashes away, and one voice with sublime disregard for the situation read poetry aloud in the fiery study until all the film spools burned until all the wires withered and the circuits cracked. The fire burst the house and let it slam flat down, puffing out skirts of spark and smoke. In the kitchen, an instant before the rain of fire and timber, the stove could be seen making breakfasts at a psychopathic rate. Ten dozen eggs, six loaves of toast, 20 dozen bacon strips, which, heated by fire, started the stove working again, hysterically hissing. The crash, the attic smashing into kitchen and parlor, 
The parlor into cellar, cellar into sub-cellar. Deep freeze, armchair, film tapes, circuits, beds, and all like skeletons thrown in a cluttered mound deep under. Smoke. And silence. A great quantity of smoke. Dawn showed faintly in the east. Among the ruins, one wall stood alone. Within the wall, a last voice said over and over again and again, even as the sun rose to shine upon the heaped rubble and steam. Today is August 5, 2026. 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 Today is August 5, What was that? I didn't quite catch that. Today is what? Uh, oh. <laughs> wow. Isn't that amazing? Now that was a Ray Bradbury story written in 1950. Isn't it scary how true that Ray Bradbury work of fiction has come true, at least in some people's houses. I'm proud to say not mine. How about all those people who have those monstrous devices they call Siri, or whatever it is, whatever name they've given themselves, Siri, what time is it, Siri, what's the weather? I think those things are monstrous, and what's even worse is they listen those devices that sit in your house, not in mine, but in some people, they have these things. I don't know how anyone would choose something like this to have in their house. They sit there and they listen to what goes on in your house, and you don't know who is on the other end listening. Yet people put these things in their houses willingly. <laughs> anyway, there you have it, friends, the ultimate result of technology placed in your house, running your house, turning your lights off and on, your TV off and on, the water spigots on the lawn off and on, uh, showing you what's going on outside on a video camera, assuming you're alive to see it. It is amazing how true the story has become for some people. <laughs> With me, I only way I know who's outside is I look through the peephole. <laughs> the only way I uh, water my lawn is to turn that spigot myself. And the only way I make coffee in the morning and make my breakfast is to turn on the stove and throw in an egg. Turn in the coffee maker. Yeah. Well, anyway, I like doing things like that, but I sure wouldn't want a, a machine or my house itself doing it. I am your humble host. For Sounds Like Radio, you just heard Burgess Meredith reading, prophetically reading, Ray Bradbury's story written in 1950. A, re a record Burgess Meredith made in 1962. He recorded that record, and what a great album it is. You just heard him reading, There Shall Come Soft Rains. Flip side of that album is called Marionettes Incorporated. We played you that one before. Hope you heard it. And uh, both of these stories, of course, written by Ray Bradbury. 
Well, that'll do it for us for today, friends. Hope you enjoyed this special edition, this vast library of sound extraction edition of Sounds Like Radio. I am your humble host. Till next time when we return with more mysterious events. We will be back then and only then. Until then, your humble host for Sounds Like Radio saying so long for now. Goodbye, everybody.